Hello and welcome to another episode of Wonder. Just before I start this week, I'd like to mention that some people may find the content of this episode upsetting. On the 2nd of September 2015, Alan Kurdi, a three-year-old Syrian boy, washed up on the shore off the coast of Bodrum in Turkey. Alan had been on a boat with his parents and brother seeking refuge in Europe. They were initially heading for Kos in Greece, about 30 minutes from Bodrum. The family had paid for passage to Kos and on the fateful day in September 2015 were placed in an inflatable boat supposed to carry a maximum of eight people, but it was in fact carrying 16 people. It capsized shortly after leaving Bodrum and Alan, his brother and his mother were all killed. The smugglers were later charged but the horrific images of Alan's lifeless body on the beach that were shared across the world rightly sparked outrage. Today we live in a world of 24-hour media where images are beamed across the globe within seconds of an event, enabling us to see, hear and connect with people in their lives. Over 75 years ago, though, this was entirely different. News from other parts of the world was limited, edited and much slower to reach us. The current and heartbreaking refugee crisis got me thinking of another refugee crisis during which shone a short but lasting beacon of light in one of the worst periods of our history. This crisis was taking place during World War II, and it led to a series of rescue missions for mainly Jewish children fleeing the German regime. The missions were informally called Kindertransport, or Transportation of Children, and took place in the 15 months between December 1938 and May 1940. The Kinder Transport is an amazing story of the true wonder of the human capacity for kindness and connection during the darkest of times. Let's find out more. I'm Leanne Walker and this is Wonder, the show where each week I bring you tales of wonder and curiosity from across the globe about the people, places and events that shape our daily lives. Before the onset of the Great Depression in Germany in 1929-1930, the National Socialist German Workers' Party, or Nazi Party for short, was a small party on the radical right of the German political spectrum. On January 30, 1933, President Hindenburg appointed Adolf Hitler to be Chancellor of Germany. Soon after that day, Adolf Hitler began instituting policies that isolated German Jews and subjected them to persecution. Within months, tens of thousands of Jews left Germany. In total, more than 340,000 Jews emigrated from Germany and Austria. Of these, about 100,000 fled to other European countries, but were subsequently killed in the Holocaust. Soon, emigration slowed considerably, as visas became impossible to get. In addition, Hitler's Nazi party commanded that all Jewish businesses be boycotted and all Jews be dismissed from civil service posts. Within two years, German businesses were publicly announcing that they no longer serviced Jews. The Nuremberg Laws, passed in September 1935, decreed that only Aryans could be full German citizens. After Germany annexed Austria in March 1938, 
nations in Western Europe and America feared an influx of refugees. In late 1938, 125,000 applicants lined up outside United States consulates, hoping to obtain 27,000 visas under the existing immigration quota. By June 1939, the number of applicants had increased to over 300,000. Britain limited its own intake in 1938, and in May 1939, a policy statement approved by the British Parliament contained measures that severely limited Jewish entry into Palestine. In a highly publicised event in May and June 1939, the United States and Cuba refused to admit over 900 Jewish refugees who had sailed from Hamburg in Germany on the St. Louis. The St. Louis appeared off the coast of Florida shortly after Cuban authorities cancelled the refugees' transit visas and denied entry to all but 30 of the passengers who were still waiting to receive visas to enter the United States. Denied permission to land in Cuba or the United States, the ship was forced to return to Europe and on June the 7th, the captain had no choice but to return to Germany with most of his passengers still on board. On June the 10th, Belgium accepted 200 passengers from the St. Louis. Two days later, the Netherlands promised to take in 194 and Britain and France admitted the rest. Of the 908 St. Louis passengers who returned to Europe, 254 are known to have died in the Holocaust. 288 found refuge in Britain. Of the 620 who returned to the continent, 366 are known to have survived the war. To try to deal with the, quote, refugee problem, a conference was proposed by President Roosevelt and was held in the French resort town of Evian, attended by representatives from 31 countries. The Evian Conference began on July the 6th, 1938 and lasted for eight days. Despite grand proclamations, the conference proved to be ineffectual, as most countries continued to refuse to accept new immigrants. After discussing a variety of potential settlement locations, the participants could only agree to meet again later. In late 1938, Herschel Grinspan, a 17-year-old ethnically Polish Jew who had been living in France for several years, learned that the Nazis had exiled his parents to Poland from Hanover in Germany, where Herschel had been born and his family had lived for years. This angered Herschel hugely and he sought revenge. On November the 7th, 1938, the teenager shot Ernst von Rath, a German diplomat, in Paris. Rath died two days later from his injuries and Hitler attended his funeral. Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi minister for public enlightenment and propaganda, immediately seized on the assassination to rile Hitler's supporters into an anti-Semitic frenzy. The Kristallnacht pogrom, a pogrom is a Russian word meaning to wreak havoc or to demolish violently, of November 9th and 10th of 1938 was the result of that rage. Just before midnight on November the 9th, Gestapo chief Heinrich Müller sent a telegram to all police units informing them that, quote, in shortest order, actions against Jews and especially their synagogues will take place in all of Germany. These are not to be interfered with, close quote. Starting in the late hours of November the 9th and continuing into the next day, Nazi mobs torched and vandalised hundreds of synagogues throughout Germany and damaged, if not destroyed, 
thousands of Jewish homes, schools, businesses, hospitals and cemeteries. Nearly 100 Jews were murdered during the violence. The police were instructed to arrest the victims. Firemen stood by the synagogues in flames, unable to do anything. They had explicit instructions to let the buildings burn. They were to interfere only if a fire threatened adjacent Aryan properties. In the immediate aftermath, the streets of Jewish communities were littered with broken glass from vandalised buildings, giving rise to the name Kristallnacht, Night of Broken Glass. Kristallnacht marked a turning point toward even more violent and repressive treatment of Jews by the Nazis. By the end of 1938, Jews were prohibited from schools and most public places in Germany, and conditions only worsened from there. Following the violent Kristallnacht pogrom of 9th and 10th of November 1938, the British government eased immigration restrictions for certain categories of Jewish refugees. Spurred by British public opinion and the persistent efforts of refugee aid committees, the British Jewish Refugee Committee, later the Refugee Children's Movement, appealed to members of Parliament and a debate was held in the House of Commons in London on the 21st of November 1938. It was the words of British Foreign Minister Samuel Hoare, quote, Here is a chance of taking the young generation of a great people. Here is a chance of mitigating to some extent the terrible suffering of their parents and their friends, close quote. These words swayed the government to permit an unspecified number of children under the age of 17 to enter the United Kingdom. It was agreed to admit the children on temporary travel documents with the idea that they would rejoin their parents when the crisis was over. Typically, however, these children never saw any of their relatives again, as many were murdered by the Nazis during World War II. A £50 sterling bond had to be posted for each child to assure their ultimate resettlement. The refugee children's movement acted quickly. It sent representatives to Germany and Austria to establish selection and transport procedures and priority was given to those children most in danger. These associations generally favoured children whose emigration was urgent because their parents were in concentration camps or were no longer able to support them. They also gave priority to homeless children and to orphans. Parents or guardians couldn't accompany the children. The few infants included in the programme were tended by other children on their transport. The children had to travel in sealed trains so that they were not seen. These trains were known as the kinder transports. In Britain, a radio appeal for foster homes was broadcast on the BBC Home Service and generated many hundreds of initial offers. The first kinder transport departed from Berlin on the 1st of December 1938 and the first from Vienna left on the 10th of December 1938. After three months, the emphasis shifted from Germany to Austria. Transports from Prague were hastily arranged after the German army entered Czechoslovakia in March 1939. Transports of Polish Jewish children were arranged in February and August 1939. Transport trains crossed into the Netherlands and Belgium and then continued to Britain by ship. The first kinder transport ship arrived at Harwich in England on the 2nd of December 1938. They continued to arrive twice a week until June 1939, and then from July they landed daily. The first transport left on December 1st, 1938, less than one month after Kristallnacht. 
the last left on September the 1st, 1939, just two days before Great Britain's entry into the war, which marked the end of the programme. The last transport from the Netherlands left for Britain on May the 14th, 1940, the day in which the Dutch army surrendered to German forces. By that time, approximately 10,000 children had made the trip, some 7,500 of them Jewish, from Germany, Austria, Czechoslovakia and Poland to Great Britain. Upon arrival in Harwich, all the children received medical examinations and were then put on trains to London. They must have been nervous, excited and terrified at the prospect of a new life in Britain. Some children left to live with relatives already in Britain, whilst others went to live with foster families who had been contacted before their arrival. To ease their fears, some kind Londoners took children to the cinema and gave them treats as they waited to be collected by their foster families. Those children without sponsors were housed in a summer camp in Dovercourt Bay and in other facilities until individual families agreed to care for them or until hostels could be organised to care for larger groups of children. Many organisations and individuals participated in the rescue operation. People of all denominations worked together to bring refugee children to Britain. Ordinary Britons opened their homes, despite the severe shortages they were living with, and welcomed children into their family. Indeed, some children were adopted in later years by the families who had originally fostered them. After the war, many children from the Children's Transport Programme became British citizens. The majority stayed and raised their own families. Some emigrated to Israel, to the United States, to Canada and to Australia. During the war, little was known of the horrors of the concentration camps and it wasn't until after 1945 that the true extent and scale of the atrocities became better understood. Those who saved these children from the Nazi regime saved their lives. Many thousands of people survive today, the children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren of these brave young refugees, the kinders. Yet many would not be here today were it not for the energy, determination and kindness of all who arranged the safe passage and care of these innocent children to a new life. The Kinder Transport is a true story of wonder. I leave you with a poem written by Tom Berman, one of the Kinders who was brought to the UK from Czechoslovakia. The Leather Suitcase they don't make suitcases like that anymore. Time was, when this case was made, solid leather, heavy stitching with protective edges at the corners. Time was, when voyage meant train, steamship, distances unbridgeable, waiting for a thinning mail, weeks, then months, then nothing. Children's train across the Reich stops and starts again. Holland, a lighted gangplank, Night ferry to grey-misted, sea-gulled Harwich, against the rails reaching flat across East Anglia, to London, in my bedroom, the suitcase, a silent witness with two labels, Wilson Station, Praha, Royal Scot, London to Glasgow. Leather suitcase from a far-off country, Czechoslovakia, containing all the love parents could pack for a five-year-old, off on a journey for life. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. For more information on the topic covered, please visit injustoneday.com forward slash wonder, where you'll find the show notes, the links and the sources. I've also put together a PDF of information about today's topic, 
If you'd like to get that, just head on over to www.injustoneday.com forward slash leather suitcase. Keep in touch via Facebook, In Just One Day, Twitter, One Day Two, or email hello at injustoneday.com. But until next time, have a great day.